2: And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas, and you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for, is it the date? May 13th, um, episode 2681. Today's show is brought to you by Horseware. Good morning, Horse World. What is your favorite day of the week? You never stop learning. You never stop understanding. It's more in-depth than just riding a horse knowing that for the rest of my life, I could work on this and, and I'll never stop learning.
3: Mary Yay, Mary Kitzmiller. Mary Miller is here. She returns each and every month on the Horses in the Morning show on the second Thursday. And we get to geek out on training horses. Welcome back, Mary. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Not too shabby? Not too
2: shabby? Everything's settled in and quiet in the cabin in the woods? Uh, yes, I do have a new addition um, because I like a challenge. I have a new puppy. <gasps> Tell us about the new puppy. Um, So... I, uh, I had been thinking for a while of getting a dog and, and I kind of wanted a dog, you know, I'm alone in the cabin in the woods and I travel alone to horse shows a lot and I kind of wanted a dog that could just have with me and, uh, you know, maybe act as a bit of a deterrent for, uh, 'er ne'er-do-wells who might want to do me harm when I'm out alone. Um, so I got a Belgian Malinois, um, now and tell tell thinks, tell us
3: a little bit what a Belgian Malamoir white look like for for somebody who might be unfamiliar.
2: Uh so they look sort of like a German shepherd um they can have longer hair varieties but uh they're they're like a German shepherd short hair looking type of dog. Uh black and tan is typically the color they can come in different colors but uh that's the that's the color my girl is. All right, so how old is Puppy? She is now 13 weeks.
3: And how much does Puppy weigh at 13 weeks, about?
2: Uh, So I had her weighed um, a week ago, and I know she's grown since then. And she is uh, 23 pounds.
3: And what's her name so we don't have to call her Puppy anymore?
2: Oh, yeah, her name
3: is Echo. And how big is Echo going to get when Echo is all grown up?
2: Um, so I've heard, you know, anywhere from like 45 to up to 60 pounds, she's not going to be that big. Um, so, you know, pretty sizable dog. Yeah. Medium. I would call that a medium
3: sized dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Small enough that you will fit comfortably in the cab. (laughs) Yes. Yes. There you go. You know, if they get too big they're they can get a little trickier to travel with because they take up the entire seat and there's no room for your McDonald's bag.
2: Right, which um, we have that issue with my mom's wolfhound, who um, is like hauling a shitland pony places. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she but she's she still goes places too. she goes to McDonald's and she goes to Lowe's and but but yeah, getting her in and out of the car is very tricky. Um, I need to get a ramp for her actually. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Does Echo
2: enjoy car rides yet? She's very well-behaved in car rides, um, and she's excited to get where she's going, but anytime I go to the car, she pulls back on the leash like, no, I don't want to go in there. Uh-huh. So, I would not say she enjoys the car ride yet, but she's very, very good. She's very quiet. Mm-hmm. So, shes that's still a learning curve. See, it's just like horses. You have to teach them to load. You have to teach them to travel. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And if you give me one tiny second, I realize I did not plug in my laptop. So, Oh, no, you're going to run out of
3: juice. Completely, yeah, I'm just going to run and plug it in real quick. She's going to run and plug that in. When Mary comes back, I'm going to surprise her with a surprise question because we always start the show out with a little bit of catch up with what Mary's been up to. And then we do Mary's training tip. But I'm going to preempt her, preempt Mary's training tip this morning with a what-do-you-think-of question. Because I love this kind of stuff. I am back. You're back. So I'm going to preempt you with a question that was prompted by my ride yesterday. I rode Nigel yesterday. My um, not quite OTTB. He's not quite because he never really did make it to the track. But we went out and did some flat work in the arena. Something we haven't done in months because I got hurt and then he got sick. And I threw a, I have a loose ring leather bit. It's a mullen mouth. In other words, it's just one solid mouthpiece, but it's made of leather. So it's all squishy and soft. And I tossed that on him just because wanted to see what would happen because I haven't used it in a long time. And he goes really, really well in it. And I was curious if you have ever tried a leather bit, either one that is a s- traditional metal bit covered with leather, or one of these squishy ones
2: that's made of all leather and what you think of them. So I have purchased a leather bit and I have not got around to using it yet. Cause I was, I, I'm really that's curious so to see how they go. So in I know I'm so ADD. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think in theory, just, just from what it looks like, I think it could be really agreeable with some horses. Um, my only worry would be that it would eventually break down and break, Oh Yeah, this is
3: if I used this every day, I would have to replace it every six months. Uh,
2: Because he does, he does pick it up with his tongue
3: and get it between his teeth a little bit and, and gnaw on it like a piece of chewing gum a little bit here and there, particularly mm -hmm, when we're done riding mm -hmm. and we're strolling back to the barn, he'll stuff it up in there like a wad of chewing tobacco. Um, So he's put some scarring on it. But if I had to use it every day, it would have to get replaced regularly. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and even if he wasn't chewing on it, um even if you're conditioning the bit properly every day, Um, which I would imagine you would need to do some sort of upkeep with it. Um, just it being in their mouth and being wet the whole time. It's, it's, I can see it causing the leather to break down over time and eventually, um, needing to be replaced. And I would just not want that to accidentally happen, say when I'm on a cross country course (laughs) or I'm getting chased by dogs down a trail. (laughs) Um, so that's that's my only i wonder how this would work um scenario it would be interesting
3: Uh, over in the auditor's page if any of our auditors have used a leather mouthed bit that's just plain old leather on a regular basis what kind of durability that you have experienced this one does not get used a lot but i have i rinse it off with just a hose when i'm done to get the slime off of it but the couple of times mm -hmm. that i conditioned it when i first got it i just took that It's a product called Bit Butter, which is some kind of an oil base and peppermint that you use to put on their mouth Mm -hmm. to condition their lips. And I rubbed that on it to give it a little bit more conditioning. But the the bit actually came with directions on how to do that. And I think you can use olive oil and stuff like that. Um, That's very interesting. Now, is yours a snaffle bit or is yours a
2: a, uh, curb bit of some sort? The kind... Okay, so the kind I actually got um because I love fads um is meant to sit in their mouth like a war bridle, meaning no bridle mm-hmm. uh on it. Um and no actually headpiece. the it reason in your ears. Right. So it's got it's got a like just a straight kind of mouth bit part, and then it's got a chin strap, then that keeps it fastened to the horse. And actually the reason that I decided Not to use it was, um, we had a guest on the show right around the same time, Jeff Sanders, who is, um, an expert on making like the California style bridle horses. And he's really knowledgeable about bits. He's had x-rays of the horses done with bits in their mouths and consulted with vets and everything on it. And he was saying that he didn't really think that using a war bridle setup was a good idea. And that kind of made me go, oh, maybe I won't pull this out of the tack room just yet. I still will try because I'm I'm open for experimenting, um, but it kind of made me go. I'll just stick with my hackamore for now. Um, so I might go ahead and invest in one that acts like a like a snaffle bit, mm-hmm. um, because like I said, I like to experiment and I, I like to, you know, if something that is out there that looks neat and, you know, obviously ethical, I'm not going to buy every gadget I see. Um, you know, I'm totally willing to try because, and, and I never throw bits away because there's always going to be that one horse that nothing, agrees with this horse he doesn't like this but he chews on this bit he puts his tongue over this or you know he you know he doesn't agree with this equipment and then that one weird thing you've had in your barn for 37 years is the thing he likes that's kind of how it works you're right
3: <laughs> the hard part yeah. about a leather bit is i have to keep it into in the house we live in florida and it's leather yes. so it will get yeah. slimy and gross and disgusting
2: if i leave it out you guys so, get you know. the yeah your tech um yeah, you have to keep your whole tag room inside, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. You you can grow, you'll grow mold on your eyelashes if you're not careful here. I'm really surprised I don't have that problem here because we have a severe humidity in uh, where I am in Texas, and we're actually underwater right now. Ah! Um, but yeah, uh, it's still not not comparable to Florida, I think. <laughs> We have a special, I think we have a special amount of mold
3: floating around in the air here. Yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) So, anyway, that was an
3: interesting discussion. I was curious if if you had ever, and it never even occurred to me that you would have the, for lack of, I guess it's technically called a war bridle style bit where it's just, it's basically a little loop that goes around their lower jaw in that gap between the front teeth and the back teeth. And it has a little slip knot or buckle of some sort so that it can be snugged up just enough that it can't fall out and slide over their teeth. Is that how kind
2: of how it works? yep exactly and and you know like any most pieces of equipment it can be used well um the the war bridle looks very um you know like oh it looks so natural and the horse doesn't have a you know doesn't have a bridle on I don't know if any of you guys remember the I think he was a show jumper Samsung Woodstock he that's what he yes, showed in yes. um yeah way back in the day I had that Briar horse um but it, it can actually be a very severe piece of equipment if you're not careful. And then, you know, there's always the worry if you accidentally drop a rain on the ground. Of course, that's with any bit. You don't want yeah, them exactly. to step on that. They could, yeah. you know, so. And the, I'm sorry. So the name I, I'll the name experiment name with is, it. Ugh, it's a war bridle. Ah! <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it sounds kind cool. of cool. <laughs> but yes. Yeah. Maybe the name doesn't. And there might be other names for it. Um but but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting piece of equipment. I'll have to I'll have to dig that out and try it out now. Yeah,
3: not, stick it on somebody com- co- cooperative and do a quick video, and I just I just want to see how it like get some close up of how it fits in their mouth and stuff because I'm very curious.
2: I'll do it to Remy. He puts up with anything. Remy's a good egg. He is. He doesn't mind being he a good egg.
3: He's, ch- He's a good egg. He, and Remy, by the way, if you're unfamiliar, is one of Mary's wonderful mustangs most adorable mustang ever. So, uh you mentioned at the start of the show that Horseware sponsors this here episode. It wouldn't be here without Horseware. So, speaking of equipment, let's hear from Horseware's Ice Vibe, a piece of equipment that can be also very useful for horses before, during and after competitions. And then when we come back, we're going to dive into Mary's training tip of the month.
0: In the world of horse racing and elite equestrian sports, it's all about how to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe is a truly portable and highly efficient circulation therapy system for your horse. Before activity, prepare to prevent damage by using the Ice Vibe's vibration pads. Repair after the event by using the unique combination of cold packs and vibration to minimise swelling and encourage blood flow. And because it's battery powered, Ice Vibe is truly portable. The essential and affordable tool to prepare and repair. Ice Vibe. You can find out more details about Ice Vibe at ice-vibe.com or horsewear.com or ask your local tax shop or online supplier for more information about Ice Vibe Circulation Therapy from Horsewear.
3: Dun, dun, dun. Okay, what is your training tip and what inspired it? Because there's always something.
2: So I noticed we got some really, really good questions this month and I noticed that there's a common theme. Uh, which usually happens. It's very interesting um, amongst the questions. So I thought that would be a great topic for the training tip. And it is teaching your horse to give to pressure. Now that seems like a no brainer. And if any of you guys have followed, you know, different trainers of various disciplines, um, they'll, they'll all tell you that your horse needs to understand how to yield or give to pressure. I'm not sure if my mic is picking this up, but my cat is losing her mind and running back and forth upstairs like a maniac. I thought I would have to worry about the puppy being loud, but I think my cat got into something. I don't know if there's catnip up there. I don't know about, but she's (laughs) being a maniac right now. (laughs) Let's hope hope it's catnip and not a wild creature. Oh Lord. I didn't even think about that. Oh, thank you. She sounds like she's got it. You're welcome. Yeah. She sounds like she's got it taken care of up there. Um, (laughs) um, um, so, yeah, teaching your horse to give to pressure, and that seems like a no-brainer, but there are so many ways to teach your horse to give to pressure, and so many body parts you want your horse to learn to give. Um, so, a lot of these questions involve uh, teaching a horse to tie, teaching a horse to pony, important things to teach your colt when you're starting them, um, and then one horse, I believe, has a phobia, uh, has a specific problem surrounding his pull and pulling back. So... Um, that is a very important thing you want to teach your horse to give to because most of us are going to tie our horse up at some point um, or we want to lead our horse, we want to get our horse onto a trailer or we might want to pony another horse. Um, So teaching them to give to pull pressure not only is going to be very practical but you can actually end up saving their life because there can be all sorts of accidents that happen if the horse is – fearful of pressure coming uh, around his pole. So like the halter pulling behind his ears. So how I teach this, I don't just put the horse in a situation where he's going to fear pole pressure and just say, well, deal with it. Good luck. Because horses being a prey animal and being an animal that, you know, their legs are their freedom and their safety and their lifeline. If something scary happens, they need to get away. If they can't get away, the next thing they're going to do is they're going to fight. And this is, you know, for a horse, sometimes we don't think about um, what goes through a horse's mind where we see that it as a simple thing, like I'm just going to tie you to the wall while I brush you. A horse might look at that if he hasn't been trained to understand, he might look at that like a life or death situation. And he might think, you just trapped me. And I don't know that there's not a mountain line behind, you know, the arena wall. And I have to save my life now. And if I can't run away, which might be the first thing he tries by pulling back, he will do whatever it takes to get safe, which might be flipping over, breaking whatever he can break to get out of there. So, um, you know, we might see it as, oh, he's being naughty. But for him, if we haven't prepared him for it, he might think this is life and death. I have to save my life now. So how we how I teach this is. um I you like to use a, a halter and a, a you know, lead rope with some length on it, at least ten feet is pretty good. And I might start with something as simple as um I'll stand in front of him and I will comb my hands down the lead rope, not pulling the lead rope, just kind of putting slight pressure on that rope by just sort of massaging my hands up and down that lead rope and like pulling the lead rope towards my chest. And I might close my grip a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And the horse might just sit there kind of stretching his head, neck forward, not really doing anything. And I'll just keep doing this over and over until he comes forward and takes a step forward. And then I release pressure. And at that point I may, you know, rub him on the face. I may give him a cookie, um, but that's the first step. And hey, you're going to feel slight pressure on your pull. And now you need to come forward. And I'll go more into details on how I do that when we answer these questions. But there's other body parts that you want to teach your horse to give to pressure, not just when it comes to leading or um, pulling on the reins when you're riding. Um, I like to teach my horse horses to give each one of their feet to pressure. So I this is why I think hobble training is so important. Even if you're not a cowboy and you're never going to be camping out on the range and, you know, needing your horse to hobble for their job, going through the motions of teaching your horse to accept hobbles, even if you never put hobbles on them, but getting going through all that prep work can be so good for your horse and life-saving. Um, so you know, I'll do the same things with. I'll take my lead rope and kind of run it up and down the horse's legs, so they understand. Hey, a rope's going to touch you here, and you're going to be okay. But then I might double that lead rope, let it slide down below their fetlock, and I'll gently pull that front leg forward until they lift it up and take a step forward. And I actually do a lot of this with the lariat, and I'll put that rope around all four feet and teach them to lead by all four feet. Um. And, you know, there's a lot of prep work I go into doing that. You need to be very careful if you're using a Lariat. But the way I set it up, I I don't need gloves when I do this. If I'm burning my hands, it means I've skipped too many steps and we've done something wrong. Um, But teaching them to give all four feet, it solves so many problems. For one... Your horse is going to be so good for the farrier if he can do this. And I teach him to lead by the feet, but I'll also take the lariat and lift the foot and hold it there. Maybe for just a moment initially, but then I'll just see, can I hold it here for several seconds? If you can get that going with your horse, he's going to be so much better for the farrier, especially for his first trim. Um... The other thing this teaches, you know, this is going to help me be able to doctor my horse's feet. If We've had a few questions about teaching your horse to pony. Um, If I've got a long lead rope and I'm Uh ponying my horse and they feel that rope, you know, hit them and you know, dangle on their foot, they're not going to freak out. Or let's say this horse goes and runs behind my horse and we've got the lead rope all tangled up. He's less likely to have a wreck if he goes, okay, I felt this pressure and I know that I should, I should just give to it and it's okay. Um, if your horse is ever, uh, g- he might get caught in a fence someday. And I've actually had this happen. I had a stud horse that he was in, um, in one of my turnout pens, and, uh there was a gate that had been left open. And so he was able to get to a pin that was bordering uh on another horse's pin. And he had gotten into a little scuffle with them. You know, they were arching their necks and squealing. And I think what happened is he ended up striking out at this horse in the pin on the other side. And the where he struck out, it was these two double gates, these metal pipe gates that were chained together. And he just had this like million dollar once you know, one in a million shot where he struck out and his foot came down between those two gates and on top of the chain, linking them together. And I was in my arena riding when I I just kind of heard this like light ting, ting, ting noise. Um, and so I got off my horse and I'm like, what is that noise? It was just this very calm kind of like metal clang noise that I was just hearing methodically. And I go and I look at this horse and his foot is like eye level in between these two gates. And all he's doing is he's pulling back gently and giving every time the gates kind of tighten on his foot. I mean, that easily could have been a death sentence. He could have pulled his dang foot off or at least, you know, very, very severely injure himself, but he got stuck and he goes, I know what to do. And he just, sat there giving to pressure and he was so he was an angel while I was able to unwedge his foot and get him safe he had no injury no hair loss he limped maybe a couple steps and he was fine and i very much 100% believe it's because i had done a lot of lariat work and i had done a lot of work around his legs so I like to teach my horse to give every single body part to pressure. Um, if I handle your ear and I and I lightly massage your ear, I want you to turn your head toward me. If I grab a hold of your muzzle and I move your muzzle left and right, I want you to give to that. If I um, take my fingertips and I press them into your chest, I want you to back away from that. Um, so these are all incredibly important things for a horse of any age. It's great colt starting prep and pretty much, you're teaching the horse, hey, I know your natural instinct is to either push against pressure or run away from pressure. I'm going to methodically teach you over time. It's best if you give to it. You can save your life if you give to pressure.
3: There we go. And it's, I think, I think of it as an ongoing thing too. It's not a case of I've taught my horse to move away from pressure and now I'm done. It's, it's a continuous exactly. process because the application of the pressure is constantly changing there's a there's leg pressure and there's pressure from the weight in your seat there's pressure from the halter yes. there's pressure from the butt bar there it's constant so i think a lot of us fall into that trap of okay i've i've started the horse or i got a new horse uh, i taught him to give from halter pressure he stands tied beautifully i've taught him to give to pressure from the bit he turns and gives his face to be quietly and easily i've taught him to move away from leg pressure he can do side passes all day long i'm done and it's i think it's the it, the whole concept of giving to pressure permeates our relationship with horses all the time
2: yeah it is never ending and because one it's very counterintuitive for the horses a prey animal but it also, like you just mentioned, it's gonna go throughout your whole relationship, even if you're, you know, you're trading up to Grand Prix level dressage. It it goes from I'm gonna teach you how to be safe and stand tight and do these basic things to this is how your tempe lead changes are gonna get really good. If you understand how to give your hips when I, you know, when I press my leg against you in this certain way. So it's never ending and you can always come up with new and interesting ways to see. Hey, can I get my horse to give to this? Um, You know, there will be a very few times when I want my horse to actually resist pressure. So, like with um, colt starting, uh, if I pull on the saddle to get on I try to get on to where I'm not like ripping the saddle off of them I try to be very gentle but they're still going to feel that pressure I want to teach that horse to hey sturdy your feet up stand square and hold my weight so they actually have to brace so there are a few times where I want you to brace against pressure if I'm training a rope horse and you know and I rope a cow he needs to be able to when he feels that the the lariat pulling against the horn i don't want him to follow the cow around i want him to hold still so we can get that cow stopped and doctor it but for the most part it's all about giving
3: there you go it's all about giving well speaking of giving i'm going to give us a little quick break and we're going to hear a little music we're going to hear from jared Rogerson. we don't get to always play a song on the morning show anymore but we're going to hear from a little bit of jared Rogerson, and i thought riding wild ponies would be appropriate for today oh lovely
1: My Cadillac pack She's loaded and ready Gonna take her down the road To the rodeo And with a new Tank of fuel And a cool Mountain Dew I'm gonna do just What I wanna do We'll be riding wild ponies And chasing pretty girls Shooting for the title The champion of the world We'll just show up Take the money and run Even if I don't win Well, i still have fun Just riding wild ponies And chasing pretty girls Driving all around the world Granddaddy said I need to find a girl and settle down It's a secret to a happy life I'm feeling pretty good Man, he must have been right I just found my one Only for the night Well, Bucky's on the phone And darling's ten home Me, I just travel Wherever I may roam I just show up Take the money and run Sometimes I don't win But I still have fun Riding wild ponies and chasing pretty girls, driving all around the world. We've been riding wild girls finally won the title the champion of the world we just show up take the money and run even though I always win will I still have fun just riding wild ponies and chasing pretty girls driving all around the world we'll be driving all around the world another happy miles
3: around the world there we go jared rogerson if you just google jared rogerson you'll find his website he has tons and tons of really fun cool songs so check that out all right you've had exactly three minutes and one second to choose which of the listener submitted questions we are going to answer first
2: Okay, let's go with uh, Jillian Brewer, and she said, My young horse has just started trail riding. He's only been out twice, but we discovered that he's terrified of puddles slash water. When I finally got him to step in a puddle, he rushed out to dry land. How can I introduce him to this so he can feel confident about it? Will ponying him with another horse help? Um, yes, that can help. Um uh, and having another horse. Oh my gosh, this cat is losing her mind. Um, <laughs> this is real podcasting here, p- people. This is real deal. Oh man, man. Every, every month it's something. Um, So, yeah, having another horse with you that has experience um, can be really helpful. I like to personally do it to where I have someone on the more experienced horse and I might be on the horse that's a little bit nervous. And uh, this actually does happen quite a bit on the trails that I go out uh, that are pretty local. We usually cross some sort of little stream or a little muddy area or a little puddle. And we put the more experienced trail Veteran up front, and I put my young horse's nose. I just point uh, my horse's nose and keep it right on that older horse's butt. Um, and, uh, the older horse crosses nice and fluidly and I just, uh, nine times out of 10, my horse will just go, well, he did it. Okay, I'll do it. Um, we don't always have that luxury of having another horse with us on the trail. So there are some things you can do at home. I like to start tackling this kind of thing with groundwork. A tarp is a great Uh, puddle substitute, but you can even, you know, you can even create uh, some puddles on your ranch, or if you're at my ranch right now, you can have lakes to practice in. We are underwater. Um, So, what I typically do on the ground to start, just in case, some horses get quite airborne over puddles, and sometimes I don't want to ride that. So, Uh, I'll start on the ground using an exercise called the sending exercise, Um, and this is also a great exercise to teach a horse to give to pull pressure. So, for those of you who are wondering about how to teach your horse to tie, this also conquers that. So, I teach my horse, hey, if I pick up pressure on this lead rope, so I'll kind of point where I want my horse to go, but... By pointing, I'm also putting slight pressure on that lead rope, which puts some pressure behind the horse's ears, so it it adds a little bit of pull pressure there, and I'll usually have something in my opposite hand, like maybe the end of the lead rope, if my lead rope's long enough, or a flag, or a whip, or a stick, all I'm doing with that instrument is to create forward pressure from behind, so the cue is the pressure behind the pole. But I'm using that driving pressure with whatever I have in my opposite hand to ask the horse to go forward. And I want him to just go past me. And so as he goes past, then what I will do is I'll take my hand that has the lead rope and I'll kind of tip it towards the horse's hindquarters. So that's going to turn his nose toward me and that will allow his hindquarters to step around so by the end of that he goes past me he should turn around and now be facing the other way then I'll switch hands and let's say I was sending him to the left, I'll put the lead rope in my right hand and the whip in my left hand, and I pick up that pressure and ask him to go past me again and do the same thing on the opposite side. So I usually teach that without any kind of obstacle first. Just teach the horse to go past me, yield his hindquarters. Go past, yield his hindquarters. And I do that till it's fluid. And actually, you should practice this till you don't need anything in your opposite hand to drive the horse forward. You should be able to just pick up slight pressure with that lead rope and the horse should come forward. So you should be able to kind of tell by now that, oh, this would be good for teaching my horse to tie because when he feels pressure behind his ears, he should give to it and go forward. So that can help get your horse to stop pulling back or prevent him from pulling back when you tie him. So once I have that going pretty good and it's moving nice and fluid, I can get any kind of obstacle, whether it's a pole or a bridge or a tarp and teach my horse to Um, cross over it and the more times you cross over that your horse might jump the tarp to begin with I want to make sure he's not going to jump on top of me so I might take that whip if he's leaning toward me and just create wave it in the air kind of by his head and neck to say hey you you can go away from me but don't come toward me because you'll step on me we don't want that to happen um so he might jump over that tarp the first few times i don't i he, he's not in trouble for it he's just trying to figure it out so i don't get any more aggressive i don't get after him i don't do anything i just say okay great cross again and he might jump it again and i'm like okay great cross again and i just keep doing that and pretty soon horses even the most wild and crazy breeds out there that like to run and go and be real athletic They still they don't like to often expend too much energy needlessly. So after a while he's like, is this really worth me jumping over it? Maybe I don't need to jump over it. And he might start walking across it or even running across it, but at least he's not airborne anymore. And so I just keep doing that. You know, I'm just very nonchalant. I'm very neutral about it. If he pulls back a little bit, that's okay. I just simply keep asking. I just keep asking him to try. Um and when he comes forward, I release that pressure. So um, we just cross it over and over until it becomes the most boring thing in the world for him. And once he, you can tell when his mind starts to get with you and he stops running across it or jumping across it and he just starts walking across it and I just keep going and going this is a very low energy exercise we could do this for an hour if we want and I just ask them to go back and forth until the tarp is just so boring and then I'll take them away and, and either be done with the lesson or go work on other things and um, so you can do the same thing if you're lucky enough to find puddles or streams on on your property you can do the same thing starting from the ground and that takes the pressure off of you the rider to worry about, am I going to stick on this? If he jumps over it or shoots over it. Um, and, uh, so I might, you know, set up a puddle, either get the, the hose out and create a puddle or find a puddle. Um, if it's safe enough to do on the trail, I've gotten off the horses on the trail sometimes and, and done this, uh, from the ground. But if he jumps across, I just, again, I just ask him to go back over and back over and back over and back over until he walks. And, um, you don't have to do this from the ground. I like to, cause it's just a nice little step stepping stone, but, um, I will do the same thing when I'm on his back. So I'll ask him to cross the puddle. If he jumps across again, he's not in trouble. I just get control of him. I might yield his hindquarters or ask him to come to a stop. And then I turn around and say, okay, let's do it again. And then I turn around and say, okay, let's do it again. Okay, let's do it again. Okay, let's do it again. And then pretty soon, you know, he discovers after a while, like, okay, well, this isn't so bad. And it just becomes old hat. I may never get him to love the water, but I can at least get him manageable over the water to where he realizes, okay, this isn't that big a deal.
3: Yeah, I can, I can get through this safely, even if I hate it. Yeah, I think you're right. Some horses, I think, have a natural dislike for going through water. But I also agree with you that they can all be taught to manage it. And that's why some horses make great event horses and some don't. Because some will get over it. It's like, oh, it's water. Okay, I understand. And some of them go, no, I really hate this, but I trust you to keep me from dying. So I will do it.
2: My mule hates water. And what I've discovered about him, he's so dang freaking smart, this mule. He does not like to put his feet in water at, like that's deep enough for his feet to disappear. He And the reason he doesn't like to do this is he is so careful and he has this strong sense of self-preservation. And when he goes through, when I ask him to cross a pond or a stream or something, he's like, I don't know what's in there and i don't like not being able to know where my feet are going and he does it he's very obedient but he he groans when he gets when i have Aww. to take him through he just goes when i have to go through a pond oh, um God. i know but he's and and i don't you know i don't force him to do that all the time it, but I don't you think know think he can you come force a trail to do much at all <laughs> <laughs> no. No. They will dump you in the water and yeah. go home if if hands. you start yeah. get trying to. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I just thought it was so funny. He's he's very good. He does it, but he does not enjoy it. Yeah. And I I might add into this one. This is something I've
3: experienced. Nigel every horse in your life teaches you things. And Nigel has taught me this one. The particular body of water can make a huge difference. Some horses figure it out quickly when it's running water. Some horses figure it out quickly when it's a giant pond. Some horses figure it out quickly when there are other horses already playing in it. There are a lot of factors there. And Nigel drove this home to me because when I have him out and about, whether he's alone with a friend or with a giant group of horses, doesn't matter, and it is a naturally occurring body of water. Here in Florida, we have... Flooding a lot in the trails because hello, it's Florida. So we'll come up to a spot on the trail, and the trail is just a automobile sized swath of bare sand in the middle of the woods that's flooded. It might be 150 yards long. It might be three inches deep. It might be three feet deep. Can't tell. He will stroll stroll through that with the confidence of Donald Trump. But (laughs) a man made body of water. A water jump in the middle of an open field with with drops and banks and flags all around it causes him serious consternation.
2: There we go. Yep. I've had Mustangs like that. I've noticed with Mustangs, if they are typically it's not always the case if they love the man made stuff. They usually don't like the natural stuff, even Mustangs. And I'm like, hello, you lived in nature. Um, and if they're really good at natural stuff, typically they don't really want to do the pool noodle and tarp stuff. Um, like I said, it's a general rule.
3: That's very interesting. Huh. See, you learned so much stuff on this show. Oh my gosh. So best of luck helping your horse work out his confidence getting through bodies of water. And Jillian, please post up on the Horse Radio Network Auditors page your progress, videos, stories, all that. We want to hear about it. Uh, and if you're not, if you're not, if you don't know what the H R N Auditors Facebook page is, Auditors are super fans of the Horse Radio Network who toss a little bit of money into the pot each and every month to help support Horse Radio Network programming. And for doing that, they get to be part of the not so super secret. HR and auditors Facebook page, which is a supportive and positive community of listeners who enjoy sharing their horse life on the Facebook page. And that's what that is. So having said that, what's our next question from one of our auditors?
2: So going along that theme, we have uh, a question from Laureen. It's a really good question. Uh, She said, I started doing um, trail class with her horse, Bramble. We lose points going over the bridge. The judge says the horse is hesitating. She says, sometimes I can feel it, sometimes not. We have crossed bridges a hundred times and he still hesitates. How can I help him be more confident going over the bridge? And this brings up an interesting point because I have found that there's a divide uh, between people and I think judges on How a horse should cross a bridge. Um, A lot of people think uh, it's totally acceptable and a good sign if the horse lowers his head and maybe it takes just a second to investigate the bridge and then cross over. Um, And, you know, it's good horsemanship for the rider to say, hey, I'm going to allow you to look at this and now we cross. But there are a lot of people who um, think, okay, my horse should trust me enough that if I tell him to cross it, it's safe and there should be no hesitation. And I've gone back and forth myself on what I think is good. I think, you know, when we're not being judged, and especially if I'm on a young horse, uh, absolutely stop, take, take some time, you know, have a look at that bridge, and then we'll cross Um but what what's the right thing in the show pen? Um, You know, I can argue good merits for it either way. But if you aren't wanting that hesitation, um, if it is causing you to lose points in a particular event or association, here's what I do. Um, and I learned this showing Mustangs in a Mustang makeover because oftentimes when we get to these shows – sometimes the horse was so challenging that this is the first and only time I was able to haul this horse out. Um, and so it's going to be, everything's going to be new and novel to him, no matter how hard I practiced at home. Um, or maybe we've only practiced, um, natural stained bridges in our shows, um, or at home. And then we go and it's a, a bright white painted bridge in the show pen. And oh my gosh, that can be totally different uh, to a horse, especially a young green horse. So what I do, I can usually tell because I've had horses um, do this. I can tell about a hundred feet away whether he's going to go over that bridge or not. Um, and uh, I can usually tell like, uh, okay, this is just not happening and we're just going to, we're going to try, but we're going to tip our hat and leave. But most of the time we can save it. So if I have finished one obstacle, let's say the obstacle before the bridge is I had to open and close the gate. So I open and close my gate. I'm going to start thinking about crossing that bridge, not, and I'm not going to wait till we get the bridge and then address crossing the bridge. Um, I'm going to be working on getting my horse to extend that walk all the way up to the bridge. And I'm not going to look down at the bridge when we cross, I'm looking to the next point. It's very similar, um, to if you're, uh working on jumps you don't look down and at that jump and you don't wait till that horse gets to that jump and then kick him in the sides because by then you he, we're, you're probably going to have a refusal or he's it's not going to go well you are looking to that next you're looking either to a point on the horizon or, or to that next jump and that confidence in you of we're going to that next point can get your horse to kind of come up out of Focusing super hardcore, looking down on that bridge and stopping, and it can actually change how he crosses that bridge. So it, you can feel how they're gonna how they're gonna go. If if you start really like taking the time to notice and feel your horse out, if he's starting to you know fifty feet away from that bridge, he's starting to walk kind of real stilted and cautious in his steps. Um, you want to really get that leg on him and push him forward and get that extended walk. And even working on this extended walk at home, get that cue really good to where when I ask with slight pressure, that horse will really stretch those legs out. And if you get that forward, confident, straight, extended walk going – um you usually have enough momentum even if he's a little unsure about the bridge to carry you across without any hesitation and it just looks really nice because you know obviously the points are for how your horse crosses the bridge but the whole picture is really what that judge is looking at and if that judge sees that horse doing this Beautiful, confident, extended, sweepy walk. And it just flows right over that bridge. Man, that looks like a million bucks. And um, when I was coaching youth kids doing the in-hand classes for these Mustang makeovers, um, the mistakes that I saw that would happen with these kids leading these horses across these obstacles is they would kind of walk the horse up to the obstacle. The uh, the horse would stop And then the kid would go, oh, we have a problem. And now they have to use excessive, um, you know, uh, cues to get the horse to go. Now maybe I have to swing that rope a little bit or I have to pull on that halter a little bit. And it just, it makes the picture all muddy. So what I would have those kids do is exactly what I'm telling you is – Get that in-hand walk really big and pretty and start asking them well before the obstacle, you know, encourage them, go forward, go forward, go forward. And that can help save um, nine times out of 10 when your horse is feeling some hesitation about that obstacle.
3: Very interesting stuff. So from my little English brain going, somebody who rides hunters or jumpers might be the same tactic is ride your horse to the base of the jump. You need to send them forward. You Mm -hmm. need to keep the momentum to keep the power up. And I got to thinking, but okay, how would I work with this at home? Because here at home, I have a very, very limited amount of things I have here. Obstacles and there's no water at my home. I have to depend on natural water sources or paying somewhere to go to to school. How would I deal with that at home to, to get the same effect? And I thought, well... Going over a bridge in a competition setting is essentially changing the footing. It's what's underfoot. There's not really a bridge there. It's a, you know, it's slats or a piece of wood or something. So I might go out to my arena and I have a big bucket of old Dennis, dead tennis balls that I got from a tennis center, big five-gallon bucket. I'm going to toss those in the ground. Well, the horse is going to look at those. Well, I'm going to practice trotting through them, walking through them, changing gates through them so that the horse, despite the fact that thing that, what is underfoot is changing, is still able to focus on my forward aids. Then I might take what a cool idea. And I can take a big plastic bag full of empty water bottles because they're everywhere, put them on the ground and then put the and kind of a lane and then I might have the tennis balls and then I might have a tarp. And I'm going to create myself a lane of continuously changing footing. Uh, The footing might be Straw scattered on the ground because that's not something he sees every day. To get my horse to the point where he can completely and utterly focus on all of my aids, I can tr- trot three steps, come to a walk, walk again, trot three steps. And that way he, he learns to be cognizant of what's underfoot. It might even be, I have a bunch of old soccer cones that I throw on the ground and they, we trod through those while things are changing. Okay, now typically at my competition, the bridges have... Sides on them. Well, I might use some tall cones with um, plastic surveyor's tape stretched across the top to mimic that. Let him figure that out. So it's and change it every other ride or every two or three rides. As soon as the horse gets to the point where he's going, I can do this without even thinking, change it up a little bit. So he's constantly being challenged a little bit. And that might help get him through not being able to focus on your forward aids.
2: Yeah, great idea. And actually, it's, um, it reminds me of a story I was writing with Craig Johnson, and he was telling me, uh, about a clinic. I think it was with Ray Hunt, who, if you're not familiar with him, he's like the godfather of the whole natural horsemanship movement. Um, really interesting individual. And, um, They were, he, uh, Craig was saying that this, uh, Ray Hunt was teaching a clinic and there was this guy who showed up there and he said, well, my horse isn't stopping good. You know, he's not doing the sliding stop he's supposed to. And the guy just kept running him back and forth and trying to pull on him to get him to stop because the stop is broken, right? So you're going to work on a hundred stops until the horse gets better. Well, it's just getting him nowhere. And so Ray threw a tarp down in the middle of the arena and he says, just see if you can get him to cross that. And this guy's kind of like, you know, what the heck? I I told you it's my stop. It's not my tarp. I don't have a tarp problem. Um, But he humored him and tried to get the horse to cross the tarp. And the horse, uh, you know, boogered at it and didn't want to cross and going sideways and this and that and the other. And so he just kept working on it and working on it and working on it until the horse would cross confidently. And then pretty soon he could get the horse to canter straight line and just cross the tarp like it was nothing. Um and the horse could go back and forth in this beautiful straight line cantering across this tarp. So once he'd gotten through all that with the horse, then Ray's like, "Okay, now run him down there and ask him to stop." And this horse just did the most beautiful, balanced, sliding stop ever. And so what that highlighted was your problem isn't really the problem; it's a symptom, <laughs> and you know, yep. it's. You know whether crossing a bridge or um or trying to do a sliding stop. If there's a disconnect, usually it's not the actual thing you're trying to get done. It's one of the parts that goes into making it. So you know, to me, almost all of your st- uh, your sliding stop or any kind of balance stop comes in how the horse approaches it. If he's bowing a shoulder out this way, or he's behind your leg and not really going forward and true, or he's running, you know, running through your bit. Um, if he's doing any of those things, don't pull on the reins and ask him to stop because it's not going to work. You've got to work on that approach and, you know, same with that, with that bridge, everything I need to cross the bridge, there's, there's a million little things that have to work. The horse has to be able to go forward. He has to be able to go where I tell him. So he needs to be able to go forward off very gentle cues with my legs. If that's not working, the bridge, we don't need to work on the bridge. We need to work on, Okay. Let's go forward off my legs. If he's jumping sideways um, instead of going on the bridge. Yes, obviously, he's got fear on the bridge and we need to conquer that. But we also need to work on, okay, he's blowing out of my right leg. So let's take him over here and work on side passing and leg yielding and get that button working right. Um, You know, all of those little buttons. And if you get those mechanics working, then the bridge just becomes... It becomes nothing. It's just a thing in your way as you're walking from point A to point B. And you, you know, if you work on all those things, you'll you'll start to see less hesitation and uh, trepidation from your horse. Dun dun dun!
3: Good stuff. That's very interesting. I know. About Great question. questions. Oh, yeah. Well, um, one of our other valued sponsors here on the monthly episode is Total Saddle Fit. <coughs> Excuse me. And Total Saddle Fit makes. Girths and cinches to help your horse move better, be more athletic and comfortable, whether you ride English and Western. So let's hear a little bit from them while we decide what question we're going to answer next. <laughs>
0: To this shape is the cutback at the elbows. This gives more room for elbow movement as well and prevents galls in the elbow area. You can find the shoulder relief cinch at totalsaddlefit.com. That's totalsaddlefit.com.
3: There you go. And when you order your cinch from Total Saddle Fit directly, he guarantees you're going to love it or he'll pay shipping both ways when you return it. And you get to really use it. You don't have to cover it up with uh, an old sock or something. So check them out. Totalsaddlefit.com. All right. What's our next question?
2: Uh, let's go with Sam's question because this was also asked last month and I didn't get to it. Um I like to teach my horses to ponies so I can ride with my kids as they get bigger while maintaining some level of control. I come from an English background, so it's not something I've been exposed to much. What do I need to know from training and preparation uh, to the best equipment and how to safely use it? Ooh, very good question. Um so I would say the things that can go into getting horse to pony well are a lot of the same components that will go into getting your horse to tie well, and it, it falls into this theme of giving to pressure. So you know, with your uh, with your horse that you're going to pony, I would work on things like that sending exercise I mentioned earlier. Of if they feel pressure behind their pole, they need to come forward. And, you know, how I do this is I is I pick up pressure on that lead rope and then I use a driving aid like a whip or a flag to uh, create forward movement to get them to come forward. And I do this until I no longer need that driving aid. Um, so that's going to help with your leading and your tying and it can also help prevent your horse from pulling back if they meet resistance. With the horse you're going to do the ponying on, uh, I tend to think of what could go wrong. So with my horse that I'm going to pony, um, that I'm going to ride while ponying, I will do a lot of desensitization with a lead rope or a lariat if it's if it's a horse that maybe I'm going to drag things with my, with my lariat rope. Um, so I make sure they can accept that rope all over their body, around their legs. I might even, and be careful doing this, I might even do some work with desensitizing that rope coming up under their tail because... You never know. You can have a colt let your pony and get really squirrely and run behind you, and that rope get under your horse's tail. And if you've never experienced that, um, it, it's it's in a it's a bit of an adrenaline rush. Um, if that horse has never felt anything under his tail like that, it can uh, it can get pretty western pretty quick. It goes so, bad in a hurry, and it yes,
3: stays and that you way. Need to
2: be Yes, because they clamp their tail yeah, down exactly. and it disappears between their butt cheeks. And, I mean, it's just hang on at that point. <laughs> and then it's a so, <clears throat> show, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I'll do a lot of, like, taking the rope behind their butt and just kind of gently rubbing it back and forth, which even a broke horse, if they've never felt that, that can be pretty... Um, Pretty challenging. So you wanna you wanna be smart, be careful, do this on the ground, make sure you stay at your horse's shoulder, keep his nose tipped towards you. Don't let him get turned around and you know, facing you with his butt when you do this kind of stuff. Um, because I'm I'm always thinking, okay, what if the horse I'm poning pulls back? What if they run around to the side? What if that, this isn't as big an issue with, uh, English stirrups? but what if that rope gets up under my fender that can feel very freaky to a horse who's never felt that before. And I've been there. Um, (laughs) and again, very fun thing to try to get out of. So I make sure that the horse I'm going to pony with, um, is pretty well desensitized to all those things and, you know, has a good attitude with other horses, um, when I first start ponying, uh, I usually do it in a pretty small area like a round pin. And instead of just walking off and expecting the horse uh to f- the other horse to follow alongside me, most of the times it is just as easy as that. But what I like to do, and this might be a little hard to explain, but I will um actually use my horse that I'm riding and to yield my pony horse's hindquarters. So this is a little difficult to explain. So what I will do is I'll hold the rope in one hand and walk my horse um, toward the horse I'm leading toward their hindquarters and just kind of go around and around and around and get that horse's hindquarters to free up. Then what I do is um, I will switch the rope to my other hand and I will actually ask that horse to cross from one side to the other. I hope this makes sense. Um, And Now my horse that I'm leading is on the other side of the horse I'm riding. And then I will then walk my horse in and yield the hindquarters to the other side. And I just play this little dance where I yield his hindquarters, bring him to the other side, yield his hindquarters, bring him to the other side. What I'm doing with this uh, is I've got a lot of control of the situation. If my horse is uh, yielding his hindquarters, the horse that I'm leading is yielding his hindquarters, uh, he's – easy to manage and maintain while he's getting used to the sensation of being ponied. Um, and it also just frees up his feet. And then from there, I'll start to walk out on a circle. I like to walk around in a circle because it, uh, it works great in a round pen. It's easy to get the horse's feet freed up that way rather than just going straight forward. Um, and then from there, you know, I'll take him out into a bigger place and, you know, work in a controlled setting. Don't obviously put your kid on the horse and... Experiment that way, you know, do it Do it without a rider on the other horse um, and work in a very quiet, uh, quiet setting like, you know, like your arena and just lots and lots of practice. And you can pony this horse over obstacles. You can start taking them out of the arena and do little short trips. But I would put a lot of miles on both of those horses learning to pony before you put your kid um, on a horse that you're ponying. There you go.
3: Yeah, that can get tricky because... The the youngsters, the reason they're being ponying, ponied is they lack experience. One of the things that I thought of about this, and I did not have this opportunity when I first started ponying horses, is the the ponier versus the pony. <laughs> it gets confusing. Yeah. Um, and if you're not experienced ponying horses, get two horses who get on well. They're familiar with each other. You ride the horse and you hold the lead rope, and the lead rope is attached to another horse. Who is ridden by an adult competent rider and practicing going through the motions of that exercise you just did. But go through those motions and have that person who is sitting on the horse with the lead rope attached to him help the horse go through that. So you're going through the motions, but you're not necessarily in control of the motions. So you get comfortable because one of the things I really struggled with is as I move scooter the Hackney Pony around Nigel, because I'm not familiar with what should happen when it's right, I'm struggling a bit. It's a little bit like putting, when you first learn higher level dressage, it's really nice to sit on a schoolmaster so that when you finally press the right buttons, it just happens. So that when you're ponying a horse and you press the right buttons, because there's somebody out there controlling that horse, it happens when you bring the lead rope out and you put a little pressure, that horse is going to move when you put the little pressure because there's a ho- human out there making sure it happens. Does that make sense?
2: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I would say, you know, there's all sorts of prep and and probably the biggest equation all that is just get the miles on both horses Prex. in a controlled setting, you know, have a, an experienced rider and, um, you know, before you, uh, before you do it with a kid. And if you do that, then it, it usually it's just a non-event, you know, yeah. cause you've, you've encountered every scenario. The horses are well schooled in it. Um, and yeah, a good challenge for your horsemanship yes. as well. And let me add, having experienced this, the first,
3: I didn't pony horses a lot, but when I did, it was two horses. Now, when I pony someone, I'm on 16 and a half hand horse and I'm ponying 12 hands that does add a degree of difficulty when you have a huge size difference like that. Uh, In my case, if pony gets behind me, even the tiniest little bit, and I'm not paying attention, that lead rope will slip up underneath of my, in my case, stirrup leather or fender. If you're in a Western saddle in the blink of an eye and cause could possibly cause a train wreck. So if you're, if you're on a horse and you're going to be ponying something very short, keep in mind that there's an added level of difficulty and prepare for it.
2: Yeah. Do those rope desensitizing exercises with the horse you're going to be riding on the ground first. Cause you know, imagine in your head what could happen and then prepare for it. Yeah, There we go. We got time for one more question. What's it going to be? Okay. So we have, Two horses, we have two questions that are kind of along the same line. Um, there's Angelina with a, a older horse that has pull resistance and pulling back. Um, we will tackle her question, and then I hope in tackling that question that we are going to answer. Um, someone else wanted to know the best way to teach a horse to tie to a stationary object. So Angelina's question is... Um, She has a 23-year-old quarter horse gelding, reigning train, trail ridden before she got him. He's a gem in every way except he pulls back when meeting resistance on his pole. This manifests when tied, cross-tied, even lunging. um, If he turns towards me and pulls back, he will run backwards until he pulls me over. Is there a safe way to fix this quirk or is it just part of his nature? I also board so I can't just time and leave him to figure it out. Um, So Hallie's question was how to teach a horse to tie Period. And Angelina has a horse with a very specific problem that uh, manifests in lots of different ways, including tying. Um, So, no, it is not too late to teach this horse uh, how to uh, do this, how to tie safely and be safe. Because even though I I hear the story a lot where he's fine with everything except but this one problem that this horse has is going to disrupt everything you do with him and it can be very dangerous. So it is definitely something he's not too old to figure it out. And you want to make sure that you work on this before there's a bad accident. The first thing I would do as you're training him is I would probably have him looked at by a vet or even an equine dentist and make sure there's not something physically causing him pain with his pole.
3: Ding, ding, ding ding ding, um, ding 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 yeah especially a horse that's got a really deeply seated issue it could be that sometime in the past he had pressure against his pole and fought it and got himself into mischief and has something out of
2: alignment yeah yeah and that can create problems everywhere you know and and even like their teeth um you know maybe there's something up going on with yeah. his teeth and that can permit that can go into the pole um um poor guy and has a so, headache. Yeah. If I, <laughs> yeah. If I have a horse that is like it's just a severe phobia, I might check and make sure. And again, he sounds like he's done this a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised if there's something if there, you know, wasn't something um, out of whack yeah, there. Yeah. So I would definitely address that, have that looked at by someone who does body work or your vet. Um have his teeth checked. I would just, you know, just kind of Scratch those off the list just to be safe. Um, So, yeah, you can't just tie him and leave him to figure it out. And that is not how I would solve it anyway. um, Because he could end up flipping over backwards and breaking many things, including himself, uh, trying to figure it out. So I would... Uh, look at some groundwork programs. There's some really great ones out there. One of my favorite uh, that would have some good exercises for this is a book by Buck Branham just called groundwork. And it's got this sending exercise in it. Like I've explained um, uh, a number of times, this podcast, uh, which would be very helpful. So teaching your horse in a safe environment, get a long lead rope. I would get something like 14 foot long with this horse and low, uh, you know, I would start with like really low energy exercises. So instead of lunging, uh, do the exercise I mentioned in the very beginning of the show where you have your horse facing you and you're just going to comb your hands along the lead rope. Now, my guess is if you were to start this exercise and you just gripped the lead rope and pulled, this horse would immediately pull you off your feet. So we're going to, he goes way over threshold very early on. Anything that's going to threaten him in this way, like with his pole where he's very protective of it. So do not I'm going to highlight the
3: word threshold right here. I think that yes. might be key here because his threshold is so low that any training yep. that's been happening recently in his life, he's already throw through threshold. So mentally, he's not learning; he's defending himself. <gasps> Ooh, ding, 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 ding again. Sorry, I will. I try not to disturb you again.
2: Well, once a horse, it, it is important to come, yeah, to, to talk about this because when a horse is what I would call over threshold, he is in flight fight mo- uh, mode, meaning he's trying to survive. He thinks he's in a life and death situation and he wants to survive. He cannot learn in that spot. I know some cowboys and other trainers, there's not just cowboys, there's a lot of great cowboy trainers out there who will bring a horse to that point of extreme panic. And even if they quote unquote win the battle with the horse, that horse did not retain anything. All you did was cause a fight. That, that's all that happened. So it's a horse does need to understand pressure. And a lot of learning happens when you put the horse in a pressure situation. But if they go over threshold, meaning they are panicking and they want to break whatever they can, including you, to get away, they can't learn so i would find a way i would you know have a good mental note of where that is for this horse and stay under it you're going to eventually be able to push that threshold back into where to where he's manageable but what i might do with this horse get a long lead rope and i would just stand in front of him quiet and just start combing my hands down that lead rope i'm not going to even close my hands on that lead rope i'm just going to create light pressure and maybe even if he just leans forward a little bit release reward And then just keep kind of combing your hands. You might close your grip a little bit more. You're not going to go, you're not going to ever just grip down on that rope and pull. You're just going to kind of comb and create this pressure and get them to come forward. And I might even with this kind of horse they tend to do better if you create a bit of distance between you and them. So I might even get several feet back and do this exercise. And as he learns to, when he feels that to come forward and he's going to get a release, So you're going to really put slack in that rope every time he does it. I might just start walking backwards around the arena and just having him come forward off of that pressure and following me around that in and of itself, whether you're working with this horse who has a severe phobia or a colt who's never been tied, um, it's, it's so good for them to just kind of follow you around and coming forward off that pressure. That is a really good start. And then eventually I'll close the, the gap between me and that horse and I'll get it to where he puts his nose right on my chest and I'll just sit. When he gets to that point, I'll sit there and love on him, rub on his face, massage his face, and just make him feel like a million bucks. And that often can just get that horse to kind of go, oh, okay, I'm safe. This is okay. There's a lot of other things I would do with this horse, groundwork-wise, um, leading up to the point of tying. Like I said, I, I would. it's hard to answer in, in one podcast, but I would look into a really good groundwork program. Find something that speaks to you. There's a lot out there, and and most great groundwork programs will address this teaching your horse to give to this pull pressure. Um, so when it comes to actually tying this horse— I really, really like to use um, some sort of safety tie. So a lot of people like the blocker tie ring. That's perfectly fine. I, My personal favorite is one simply called The Clip and it's, it's exactly what it is. It's a clip and it's got this little ring on the bottom of it. And you run the lead rope. I double the end of my lead rope and run it through the ring at the bottom and around the clip. And then I can clip it to a ring on a wall. And I have this set up in my arena. It's, it's best if you can figure out how to set this up in your arena with good footing and not like in a wash bay in the barn aisle. Um, you don't, you don't want something scary with not good footing. So if you can do this in the arena, this is going to work really great. And the thing about this clip is uh, if you clip a horse to the wall and they pull back and you want to use a really long lead rope and a lead rope that doesn't have any kind of knot on the end of it. Um, I've had horses that were so phobic with tying. I used like a 25 foot long, a long line to do this and I'll clip them to the wall. And if it's a horse that has a severe phobia and pulled back many times, I don't have to do anything. They'll usually just pull back and they might pull 20 feet of lead rope through. And once they're done pulling, all I do is walk up to them, lead them back to the wall, pull the slack on the rope, and then I'll walk away again. And I, I, I'm watching this whole time. I'm in the arena with them. And They'll probably pull back a second time if they're very phobic about this. And this time, maybe they only pull 10 feet of lead rope. So I just walk up to them, lead them back to the wall gently. They're not in trouble. I don't get after them. Uh, Pull the slack. And then the next time, maybe five feet. And then almost every time, the first session, they just kind of go, oh, okay, I'm fine. You would think a device like this would teach a horse to pull back. And I've, I've never had that been a case. The only time that a safety tie has ever uh, maybe created a bad habit was with my good old quarter horse, Guthrie, who figured out that uh, when he was tied to my wall that I have outside of the arena, oh, uh, I can just pull slack and eat grass. Well, with Guthrie, his problem wasn't tying. So after that, I just tied him up normal. Um, his problem
3: was he was hungry.
2: <laughs> yeah, and he just like gently pull the leader up and eat some grass. I'm like, okay, you're we're not going to do that with you. That's the only time I've ever had anything kind of not good happen with it. But you see, you would think, won't this horse teach the horse to pull back? Actually, what I found that it does is this horse that you normally would tie to a wall, he feels trapped, he's got to get out. And when he first pulls the slack on this and realizes nothing bad happens, he goes, okay, I can, I can get away if I need to. And it just makes them kind of go, okay, this is fine. I can get away if I need to. So they start reacting less and less and less. And it's amazing how quickly it works. And pretty soon they just don't pull back. You can eventually work with a horse like this up to where he can tie solid. Um, Personally, I like to use these clips everywhere I go uh, because, you know, Anything can happen. A horse can slip and fall in the mud. Or if I have him on the trailer trailer, and we're, God forbid, in some sort of accident, um, he's not going to be hanging from his halter if that trailer goes over on its side. Or I have had, you know, my mule who is the, you know, e- brokest animal ever. I had clipped him in the trailer with a safety clip. And this one time in a million times he's hauled, he for something freaked him out and he backed up out of that trailer and because I hadn't didn't have him tied solid, um, he was able to back safely off the trailer. He was actually still tied cause I was using a long lead rope. I didn't get killed and I just let him back in the trailer, pulled the slack and he was good. So I, I like to use it all the time. I, I usually do like to at some point get a horse to where, can I just tie you solid with a rope and you'll be fine yeah, but you know, for me, for what I do, there's never any time where I can't use that clip. Um, so it's just peace of mind for me and my horses, other than Guthrie, um, they they tie like they're tied solid with that thing. So I, I would definitely look into that. It's great for teaching young horses and it's great to help other horses get over their phobia.
3: There we go. Great advice. Um, a step-by-step process like everything else. And again, For everybody who submitted questions, thank you very much. Uh, Keep tuned into the HRN auditors page for Mary's query next month, and we will do our best to get to as many as we can. So for people who want to appropriately stalk you online, check into having their horses trained by you, hire you to do a clinic and or demonstration, or even come out to your place and get some riding lessons, how can they do that?
2: You can find me online at marykitzmiller.com. That's got all my contact information. I'm on Facebook. If you search Mary Kitsmiller Horsemanship, you can find me there. And you can also
3: get DVDs. You have a couple of DVDs on training horses. And you'll also have amazing artwork,
2: which can be found where? Uh, You can find us uh, Troublemaker Trading Company on Facebook and we have a Shopify website that is also under the name Troublemaker Trading Company and we've got lots of cool products there as well. There we go. So we will see you again next month on the second Thursday. Sounds good.